she make a day or make a new day. Now the question be that. She go go and make a suffer for the arrow knife with cutlass for the matter with the ground. She make a start war put for the water of Wala. We go affect one person as I go corner them for them. As we go die, the pain and the sorrow go end. The rocket life where man picking the manage. Now end where all man picking go value up say one day he go die. Make person die. You might think that you can't make any sense of what you've just heard. But if you understand what I'm saying now, that is, if you speak English, and you know a little bit about a certain famous speech from Shakespeare's play Hamlet, you might find that you can follow more than you expect. Let's try again. She make a day to be or make a new day. Or not to be. Now the question be that. That is the question. She go go and make a suffer for the arrow knife which cut last for the matter with the ground. Slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. She make a start war put for the water of Wala. We go affect one person. And by opposing, so them for them. end them. As we go die, the pain and the sorrow go end. The rocket life where man picking the manage. Now end where all man picking go value up say one day in go die. Make person die. Make him sleep. Or make him say in a dream. Yes. That's not the problem. Because for that sleep of dying, that be the dream where we go get. When we hear say body don't rotty, it go make us reason because say we no one lose our life. What in day after die? I know Sabi. To die be like say you cross border between waiting you know. This is the saxophone solo from Kalakuta Show by Fela Kuti and Africa 70. Before it, we were listening to lines from Bernard Ogini's rendition of Hamlet's To Be or Not To Be in Niger, the language formerly known as Nigerian Pidgin. We'll hear the rest of the speech at the end of this episode, in which we're talking, of course, about Nigerian Shakespeare's, hence the musical interludes from Fela Kuti. Along with Bernard Ogini, will benefit from the insight and expertise of Nigerian scholars and creative practitioners Odirin Abonyi, Ifeolua Abuluwade, and Lekom Balogun. In fact, we have so much to share with you that this will be another double header. After launching with two episodes on Kiswahili Shakespeare's, Shake the Sword will be tackling the topic of Shakespeare in Nigeria in this, our third episode, and in episode four. By the way, I'm Chris Thurman the director of the Tsikinya Shaka Center, TCC for short, and the host of this podcast. If you're listening to Shake the Sword for the first time, you might want to check out our first couple of episodes to learn about the center and its work. Find out more on our website or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The work of the TCC is supported by the University of the Witwatersrand in Johannesburg, South Africa, by legacy underwriting managers, the National Institute for the Humanities and Social Sciences, and the Humboldt Foundation. Now, before we go any further, let's enjoy some more fella.
Tikirin Abonyi is an affiliate of the Tikin Yashaka Center, who has a special interest in Bernard Ogini's pioneering translations of Shakespeare into Niger. Abonyi is a linguist and language activist who has contributed to the development of a Niger dictionary and is passionate about Niger as an object of scholarly study. Here he explains that in fact Niger should not be understood simply as a dialect or as the quote illegitimate offspring of English. While English speakers have some access to it, as our opening experiment demonstrated, so too do speakers of other languages that have formed and shaped it. It's not merely the case that, as in one linguistic model for pidgins and creole languages, English is the so-called super-straight language, dominant, prior, more prestigious, and Niger the lowly substrate. Lexicographers such as Abonyi track the usage of Niger in media broadcasts, in popular culture, and increasingly in literary texts. He notes that a figure like Fela Kuti drew international attention to Niger, or as it was then, Nigerian pigeon, through his music, while Ken Sarawiwa was among the first writers to experiment with it in the novel form, marking Niger's shift from a primarily oral language to one documented textually. Some believe that Niger is a bastard or an illegitimate child of English, but that is far from true or that is not the true story. Why do I say that? Niger dates back, the first contact of persons in Europe dates back to somewhere around the 14th century, specifically the Dutch. But because their impact they didn't stay so long, that is why there is not much record of the trade contact that they made with persons in the coastal regions of Nigeria and some of the West African countries. But that was just the beginning. Later on, the Portuguese came and then had their contact and then they left. The only the major thing why some situate Niger as being an illegitimate offering of English is the fact that when the British came to colonize this country, Nigeria, as well as the other countries, they stayed the longest. So it, the tendency is to call English the super street since the uh, semblance of words that are spelt in English, which you find in Niger. But if we go back to words like Sabi, Botoki, Potopoto, Patapata, and the rest of them, their roots or origin is traced to Portuguese. So yes, Niger had a major, they seem to be a major contact, a major influence from English, but its origin historically, from the diachronic perspective, we would not situate Niger as the offspring of English. We would rather say that Niger itself was birthed by trade contact, and of course that was its humble origin. So the other forms, vocabulary terms in Niger come from the other languages that we have in Nigeria. So in a sense, it would be best or safest to conclude that Niger and English and the other languages are ad straits to Niger, not super straight, substrate dichotomy as we find generally in the literature. Now, this brings us to how it now evolved from that time. Usually the pigeons may evolve and die off when the trade contact ends. But this language Niger continued to grow. It continued to evolve. First, it was the result of intermarriage, business within the country, and that was how there was sort of a disperser. But beyond that, in the present times, the influence of entertainment, of religion, of the media, cannot be taken out of the language, which has grown from that 
um, small language, contact language, to now an international language that is the language of literature, business, and yes, the language of the urban youth. Another affiliate of the TCC, Ifeolua Aboluwade, gives a different perspective on Niger, English, and their relationship to other languages in Nigeria. Speaking from Germany, where she's a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Bayreuth, and while she was still recovering from COVID, Abuluwade allowed less prominence to Niger in her overview of Nigeria's language landscape. In Nigeria, we have more than 500 languages. It's a highly polyglossic space. People like to say we have three main languages, but I think we should not leave out the Fulanese or put them on work together with the houses. So maybe we should say four. So we have the Yorubas, the Igbos, the Hausas, then the Fulanese, <laughs> who are quite different from the Hausas. And of course, we have English, which is the official language. And well, for a lot of people, also a mother tongue of sorts, a first language. And uh, we have Pidgin English that people assume that everybody speaks. I, for one, don't speak it. So <laughs> these are some of the misconceptions I'm talking about. I will talk of, of my generation as a post-colonial who is not really uh, aware of the experience of colonization. So English is not for me, for example, the language of the white man or the language of the other, but my language. Abuluwade's account emphasizes English as at home in Nigeria and Nigerians as at home in English. What does this mean for Shakespeare? Abuluwade's colleague, Lekon Balogun, who is both a researcher and a playwright, answers that question. And then that happens to be the form in which uh, Nigeria actually received Shakespeare through colonial secondary schools and so on and so forth. So it is understandable we still write in that kind of language, even though we try to bring in a whole lot of uh, cultural connotation into it in terms of setting the play in our environment. Of course, we have a number of adaptations of Shakespeare that are written in other languages. For example, I'm aware of two or three written in Yoruba language, Itonginiti, for example, that was performed in 2012. And as a matter of fact, the first translation or adaptation of Shakespeare was by E.T. Johnson in 1930, it was written in Yoruba. So, in dealing with Shakespeare, in looking at Shakespeare, the issue of language comes in, and then it becomes imperative to talk about the colonial heritage. So far, then, we have three Shakespearean strands, each involving some form of translation or adaptation. A longer history of Shakespeare translated into Nigerian languages like Yoruba, from E.T. Johnson's T. Julius Caesar in the 1930s, to Itan Oginintin, a version of The Winter's Tale, written by Chief Ayantade Ipadeola and performed at the 2012 Globe to Globe Festival in London. The more recent project of translating Shakespeare into Niger, a form of language activism or advocacy, and adaptation into contemporary English of Shakespearean narratives, which may engage with colonial history and its present-day implications, or with other current affairs. Is that too simplistic a categorization? One complicating factor is education settings, entailing for most Nigerians who encounter the plays as texts at school and university, only Shakespeare's early modern English. It is the latter Shakespeare that Wole Shuinka wrote about in his 1983 essay, Shakespeare and the Living Dramatist. But as Lekon Balogun pointed out in our conversation, although this is a widely cited point of reference, it is not really focused on or specific to Nigeria. 
Let's look then at some other key moments in the history of Nigerian writer-translators' creative responses to Shakespeare. At around the midpoint between Tijulia Caesar and Itan Oginintin is Wale Ogunyemi's Are Akogun, a translation of Macbeth into Yoruba, performed at the University of Ibadan in 1968 and published the following year. Now, this was a kind of a bilingual translation, one side English and the other side Yoruba. And what I think Wale Ogunyemi was trying to do is to do a kind of a, a comparative dramaturgy of Shakespeare's uh, language. When I say Shakespeare's language, I'm talking about in the English language, not really the language in which Shakespeare wrote his play in, but then the English language in relation to Yoruba. And Wale Ogunyemi is actually a bit critical in terms of saying, if you read the, the English side, it is not as deep and and dramatic like we have the the Yoruba version. I'll, I'll give you one example, a scene, that a recreation of the Potter scene where it is now presented in the form of people playing Ayo. Ayo is a traditional Yoruba game, similar to board games such as drafts, checkers or backgammon, in which the seeds of the Ayo plant are used as pieces, moved between circular depressions or houses that are carved into a rectangular wooden board. And essentially, you see, when, when you distribute the seeds around, you go anti-clockwise, then you, you, you drop it. You know, in dropping it, they make a sound. So that sound replaces the knocking, the persistent knock by the potter, you know, something like knock, knock, who is there? But then it becomes something else. And then it is followed by some kind of a chant to the extent that now, apart from the usual playing of the seed, it becomes playing and chanting Wale Ogunyemi was trying to point out the beauty of the Yoruba language. Ogunyemi's project, then, is perhaps not too different from the work of a figure like Bernard Ogini, whose translation of Shakespeare stems from a desire to affirm and validate the language of Niger. Yet, as Ife Abuluwade goes on to elaborate, the more discernible trajectory from the early independence era to the latter part of the 20th century entails a shift away from using Shakespeare as a form of local language advocacy and towards critique of local politics via Shakespeare and generally in English, if not early modern English. At that time, yes, it was more common to have local language versions of Shakespeare and bilingual versions of Shakespeare like Lekon mentioned. In early years of independence and some years after independence, things changed, which is quite normal for a lot of African societies because, you know, the situation kept changing. There were a lot of disillusion. There were uh, different feelings before uh, independence of we are going to get our independence and things will be better when the white man goes and we are free. And that didn't quite happen. And uh, it was more suffering and more tyranny. And these were ways of them trying to cope with what was happening politically. We turn then to 21st century adaptations. Ahmed Yerima's Otaelo in 2002, Femio Shofisan's Weshu Hamlet in 2012, and Lekon Balogun's Emi Cesar in 2016. Here, Balogun starts by talking about his own directorial updating of Otaelo. Yerima's play draws on the racism in Othello to pass comment on another discriminatory system, the caste system of the Igbo which prevents so-called osu, or outcast people, from marrying Diala or, quote, normal members of Igbo society. 
Balogun then goes on to discuss his Emicisa as another trans-historical play situating a broadly Shakespearean narrative in a pre-colonial Nigerian setting, the collapse of the Oyo Empire, which in this case has become a means of engaging both with recent political developments, the end of Goodluck Jonathan's presidency, and with present-day conflict in the country caused by political opportunists exploiting tribal affiliations. Yarima has written one adaptation of Shakespeare, that's Otailo. Incidentally, at the moment, I am directing the play. Yarima said this play in an ancient Igbo society. In my own directing, I'm actually adapting that into contemporary time. So it's like adapting the adaptation again. Yarima is talking about the Yosu, but then for my own work, like the Misiza, the one that I wrote in 2016, I was not actually adapting Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. I only used his context to talk about something else. Shakespeare wrote Julius Caesar in 1599 as a kind of wake-up call to the English people about political intrigue surrounding who is going to succeed the aging Queen Elizabeth. If this queen dies now, the, the whole environment is going to explode. But then in my own case, I was actually looking at Nigeria in the 2000s, and I was looking at the events surrounding the defeat of former President Goodluck Jonathan. You know, the intrigue, you know, surrounding how APC formed an alliance, a very strong, formidable alliance to dislodge PDP that had been in government for 16 years, you know, with all his uh, powers fully entrenched. And I was looking at the cost of defeating PDP. And I thought, yeah, this thing has happened before. So what I did was to go back to read about Yoruba history. And I find myself going back to 1830 to around 1835 or your empire, when the empire itself collapsed. Not because there was external aggression, but because of the power play among the, the power brokers. And I thought, this is a very good way of talking about Nigeria. Maybe Shakespeare wrote this, but 1830-35 or your empire is closer to my own history, closer to my own experience. What if I only use the context of Julius Caesar without actually adapting Shakespeare, but echoing, merely echoing Julius Caesar, but then telling my own story? Ife Ulua Aboluwade offers some concluding remarks about this telling of one's own story, making creative use of Shakespearean narratives. I think that now there is less of a writing back to the European other and more of a writing home to neo-colonial hegemonies. But that doesn't mean that the, the colonial past is being ignored. I think we are dealing more with more of a hybrid situation now rather than a single situation. So we, there's a lot of enemies, not just one. We have multiple enemies. There are uh, multiple fights to be fought. And you see this situation actually being tackled. Uh, Shakespeare is not the enemy, but Shakespeare is a framework. I think uh, Femme Shakespeare actually puts it quite brilliantly in Wesuamtlet. He decided to put the characters side by side. So instead of displacing the Shakespearean characters and putting African ones, he put them in conversation with each other to, to kind of say that as it happened in the time of Shakespeare, so it is still happening now. In our next episode, we'll be reflecting further on the reception of Shakespeare in Nigeria, but also talking more generally about travelling tales and challenging the idea that the phenomenon of Shakespeare in Africa is one-way traffic. But before we finish, 
I promised earlier that you'd be able to hear the rest of the to be or not to be speech from Hamlet Ogapikin, Bernard Ogini's translation adaptation of Shakespeare's Hamlet into Niger. Have you got your texts ready to follow along? It's Act 3, Scene 1. Or maybe just sit back and enjoy. As Fela Kuti's Kalakuta show fades out, we'll pick up where we left off. To die, be like say you cross border between waiting you know and waiting you don't know. Person go lost for that place now and no go come back. Christine's Fide DSF. That now waiting with the reason. They make the long life fall because who go feel bear the pain? The kabuka of time. The jaguda life where they behave to us. Eh? The level where men they rest shoulder, they pain for love and the mumu order now. Yes, where bad people they do to the good people them. All these things now they vex me. Where person feed us releasing himself, give these people with only naked cutlass. Eh? Who go they carry? Where go they sweat? Where go they squeeze face under this heavy load for this life during stress? And under fear of waiting the afterlife. If not for the sake of say, with a quick rush to take action. When the feed us use pens to draw the line between life and die. How easy. The wicked country where man became no go fit Wakago. When my people go travel, no go come back. Then I waiting they give us liver, they scatter us because they arrange bad bad things. Where we know, as we think about that, they make us get mouth like lion for back, but they behave like chicken for front. The first thing we go make us reason, go end our life. It did difficult to understand, but we must reason our way. Better plans go meds go reach the point. We will not go do anything. Ophelia, my babe. If I just feel see you now, 